coming up on this episode of the MD and Chef Team Show. You can't make energy because you don't have enough of the nutrients they're being used for adrenaline. Then you drink coffee. Guess what? Coffee, dopamine gets converted into adrenaline using up the same nutrients. Guess what? Serotonin doesn't get a look in because the same nutrients aren't available for serotonin synthesis. So we have this vicious cycle going on um, when women aren't making sure they get enough of those nutrients to support both adrenaline synthesis, cortisol synthesis, and serotonin and melatonin synthesis. Welcome to the show from the The MD MD and Chef Chef Team. Team. I'm Dr. Isabel, medical doctor here at the MD and Chef Team. And who are you? I'm Chef Michael, culinary nutrition expert. I'm the chef part of the team. And what are we going to talk about, babe? Now, I can say that because he's my husband. (laughs) Yes. Well, then, we'll be talking about marriage, relationships, parenting, intimacy. We'll talk about mindsets of success, overcoming depression, anxiety. I'll be getting into functional nutrition, recipes and tips from the kitchen. And we're going to both get into how to live a long, healthy, vibrant life. Yes, I love it. Our mission is to help you prevent and reverse disease and give you hope in the process. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. We We like like to have fun, fun too. So let's Let's get get on with the show. Hello, Delia. How are you doing? I'm well, Isabel, across the pond. How are you? Very good. Now, I'm in New Zealand and you're in? Australia. What part of Australia? The Gold Coast, the beautiful sunny part. Yes, I love that part of Australia. How's the weather today? Oh, my goodness. You've had a bit of a cold snap, which is very unusual for us, so we've all been complaining. But today is beautiful again, and the sun's out. So, yeah, we're having a bit of a real winter year for a change. And what's a cold snap for you guys? (laughs) Uh, Look, seven or eight degrees Celsius in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's cold for us too. <laughs> okay, so we're not too bad. Then. No. We're not so, such wimps. No, no. Do you still, are you close to the beach at all? Uh, probably about eight, nine minutes to the beach. <sighs> and yeah, it's not far at all. And, and really in the middle of the day, being on the beach is still perfect in the middle of winter. Really gorgeous. And do you go walking on the beach? Yeah, I do. I don't swim at this time of year, but I do still go walking on the beach. Yes, I love, my husband and I love walking on the beach as much as possible. It's so good for us. Do you do it barefoot? I do, have to do it barefoot. I'm not interested in the sand in my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Hey, may I share with our listeners a little bit about you so we can start talking about what's so important on your mind? With pleasure, Isabel. Okay. Well, Delia McCabe is a PhD. Now you're a PhD in? Well, it's interesting because I had to search for a number of universities before I found one that was interested in allowing me to cross three disciplines, which was neuroscience, psychology, and nutrition. And so I got my PhD from Adelaide Medical School. And the title of my thesis was, or is, The Neurological Effects of Specific Nutrients on Female Stress. And I did a huge systematic review to look at the evidence available and found a huge knowledge gap. And then I did two primary research projects. So it took me five years, Isabel. 
I love it. You're a go-getter, that's for sure. So I am going to address you as Dr. Delia McCabe and with that background, okay? And uh, because there's all sorts of doctors. There's naturopath doctors, medical doctors, chiropractic doctors, and there's you, doctor. (laughs) And Delia shifted her research focus from psychology to nutritional neuroscience upon discovering nutritional nutrition's critical role in mental well-being it plays such a huge role and Delia's research into stress has been published in a number of peer-reviewed journals she's a regular featured expert in the media and her two books are available in four languages bravo what four languages um English Italian Czechoslovakian and Polish and do you speak all those languages? No, I only speak <laughs> English. <laughs> it's great to have translators, isn't it? Her psychology background combined with her nutritional neuroscience knowledge and neurological perspective supports stress resilience and optimal brain function via online courses, workshops, and tailored events internationally. I love it. And now that we're doing all this telemedicine, we can go anywhere at any time. We can. It's actually really the only blessing in the curse that COVID um, provided. It really did a fast forward for this kind of communication. Yes, absolutely. That's been the blessing for all of us. So you had talked about women and stress. Let's. Let's dive into that because we're both about the same age, training to be 100 plus good and healthy. (laughs) So let's talk about stress and women and how that affects the whole picture. It's an interesting um, topic, Isabel. People say to me, why didn't you study the male brain? And I said, because I don't have one. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a stressed female brain, but I don't know what the male brain feels like when it's stressed. So I think people get, you know, a little bit irritated. um, And I know there's a whole idea to speak about the male and the female brain being similar. Um, And, you know, just to to lay the foundation first, the male and the female brain are mostly similar. That is true. But where the differences occur, they're very noticeable. So they may not be huge, but they're very noticeable. And anybody that has been in a relationship with a male will know the woman will be going on about an issue, you know, something that's bothering them, and the male will find the solution. Then a couple of weeks later, the woman will again bring up this same thing, and the male will go, haven't you finished that? I thought you dealt with it. And the woman will go, well, I thought about something else related to that. And do you know, if I do this, then that will happen. And so we have the tendency to ruminate more than men. They tend to think something through, decide on a plan of action and move past it. Our singular gyrus, which is the part of the brain where we kind of like relay thoughts, our thoughts kind of get stuck there sometimes, and then we find it challenging to move on. So that's one of the ways that women can stress themselves stress themselves out by having that looping thought go on and on, just because of the way our limbic system is set up. So it seems that our limbic system, the emotional center of the brain, is a little bit more tightly wired versus the male limbic system. And this is simply because we needed to be able to be more astute in picking up nonverbal cues from our Mm -hmm. offspring and picking up cues from men in the group 
that maybe we didn't know too well. And we, of course, were smaller. We needed to be just a little bit more on top of these nonverbal cues. So it makes sense that our limbic system is really tightly wired and very much attuned to our environment. And that leads to us reading into things as well. You know, oh, you bump yes. into a friend. <laughs> we know what this is like. Yes. And when we stressed, we unfortunately, these tendencies of ours, which are great for collaboration and cooperation and intuition, get a little bit too fine-tuned. And then we ruminate, we read into things, we don't solve a problem, we, we sit on top of it. And so those are the challenges. But I think the interesting thing is about for women to realize as well is that our hormones also impact the way our brain functions because progesterone and estrogen, as you'll know very well, are tied up with the neurotransmitters serotonin and GABA. Now, these are very important and powerful neurotransmitters. And men's testosterone only fluctuates across a lifetime. Our estrogen and progesterone fluctuates every month. And then when we go into perimenopause and menopause, then those hormones go wonky. And this is why I'll have women say to me, I feel like I'm losing my mind because I just can't feel calm anymore. I feel anxious all the time. I don't sleep. My appetite's really crazy. And that's because the, the challenges with estrogen and progesterone across this, this time space leads to challenges with serotonin and GABA. But then there's something else that women have as well, apart from this tightly wired limbic system and the, these hormones that fluctuate. We also have more psychosocial stresses than men. And any woman will be able to translate that into we juggle more than men do. We try to live into the idea that we can multitask and especially young mothers really battle because they're having their children that they care about. They want to look after them well and keep them healthy. They want to pursue their own dreams. If they're in a relationship, they want to keep that a priority as well. So they have all these conflicting thoughts. And then as we get older, we may have older parents that we're now concerned about and teenagers and be at a different stage in our career. So Women are continuously carrying all these extra things and we don't have the capacity like men do to shut down thinking about them. We keep them all in our mind all the time. It's no wonder women wake up at one and two o'clock in the morning. I was just going to say that the one o'clock, the two o'clock, the three o'clock, you get up to go to the loo and you're wishing you go back to sleep. But do we? Do we go back to sleep or do we start thinking, figuring things out? I know for is, me, I know for me, I, that still happens, you know. How about you? Absolutely. It happens to me as well. But now I have some strategies that I use because I know that I've built up. A, you see, this is the problem. And this is where the psychology and the neuroscience comes into this, um, Isabel, because if you have a certain personality that tends towards perfectionism and conscientiousness and doing things right and ticking all the boxes, then you're more likely to wake up at one and two o'clock in the morning, aren't you? Because there's something you forgot. <laughs> yes. something you want to add to the list, you know? So we can't get away from the fact that who we are intrinsically as people impacts our capacity to put our, our thoughts on hold. The other challenge is the more you do that before you realize it's happening, you actually build a neural pathway for that. So then when you wake up, you go, oh, damn, here we go again. And you get yourself into the mindset of, oh, this is when I lie awake and ruminate. So we need a, a neuroscience-based 
strategy to cut across that neural pathway and that habit and our tendency in terms of who we are from a personality perspective to just cut through it and actually just go back to sleep. And one of the funniest things I read about the other day was that if you use your name when you're instructing yourself to do something, it's more effective. And um, I found that so interesting because now I say to myself, Delia, you've got everything that you need on a piece of paper. Your body and your brain really need you to go to sleep. Go to sleep, Delia. And that just breaks through that rumination, what else do I have to do? And it's getting easier to do, Isabel. I don't get it right every night, but mostly I do. Which I love that you gave that tip. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving the audience that tip. Because I know that there are women out there that are just, that want to give you a big hug for thanking, you know, for giving them that. Isabel, you've got everything you need on paper. It's time for you to go to sleep. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's tip tip number one, everybody. Tip number one. I hope you're writing it down. Let's talk more about the woman's brain and stress. Well, the other interesting thing, Isabel, is that when women are running on empty and putting everyone else ahead of themselves, they're actually using up more nutrients than men do. And this is just because we need nutrients to make hormones, which you know as well. And if we're short on those nutrients, we can't make the hormones, then the hormones don't work with the neurotransmitters, and so we have this downward spiral. The challenge is as well is that very few people really think about and this is a bit of a, of a metacognition issue. We don't ever think about the fact that being stressed, all the neural activity that goes with those feelings actually uses nutrients because adrenaline and cortisol don't just disappear out of the ether. They are made from compounds that are in our body. So just as much as we consider that thinking occurs across this huge network made up of cells and chemicals and membranes and molecules, Stress uses up many of those components to be able to be generated. And if you're experiencing stress 24-7, you end up becoming depleted in those nutrients. Because, look, let's face it, nature said, look, if there's a tiger after you, it's more important you get away from the tiger than snuggle down and feel comfy and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So your body will naturally make adrenaline and cortisol first. And if there's a little bit left over, guess what? You'll make some serotonin and then melatonin. So that's another one of the reasons that women can wake up at one o'clock because, look, guess what's happened? Not enough nutrients to make serotonin and to make melatonin from the serotonin. So it's very important for listeners to understand that stress is very expensive from a nutritional perspective. One of the slides that I use in the presentations that I give shows all the nutrients that are used to make adrenaline. Then I have another slide to show all the nutrients that are used for an ordinary energy process, you know, just what the mitochondria needs. And then I have another slide, which unfortunately shows the nutrients that coffee uses, which are exactly the same as adrenaline. And, you know, then you look at what the nutrients required for serotonin are, and you see, wow, most of them are the same. So if you're exhausted, You can't make energy because you don't have enough of the nutrients they're being used for adrenaline. Then you drink coffee. Guess what? Coffee, dopamine gets converted into adrenaline using up the same nutrients. 
guess what? Serotonin doesn't get a look in because the same nutrients aren't available for ser serotonin synthesis. So we have this vicious cycle going on um, when women aren't making sure they get enough of those nutrients to support both adrenaline synthesis, cortisol synthesis, and serotonin and melatonin synthesis. Have you, from your story, and you don't have to answer this if it's too personal, but have you ever experienced adrenal exhaustion? Absolutely. That's why I can speak to it. Yes. And, um, and I have too. So I'm really glad we're talking about this. Um, I never, you know, it's just, it's the same for you. We don't really know it until we've experienced it. And then we help, we climb out of that deep, dark hole. So could you share with the audience what did you do? What was your cortisol levels like? How did you get them checked? Because people want to know what their cortisol levels are. They want to know how to repair their, their energy stores. The challenge for me, Isabel, when I speak about adrenal fatigue is that actually from a medical perspective, it isn't generally believed that adrenal fatigue exists. And that's interesting because there's enough. Well, we do. We do here. And we, we do, do here. Yeah. Yeah, and we call it adrenal exhaustion instead of adrenal fit. Functional medicine is it, calling it adrenal exhaustion. So yes. our team here in this room <laughs> understands where we're coming from. So we believe, we believe in adrenal exhaustion. We are exhaustion. believers. Yeah, <laughs> we're all believers. So take it from there. And what I like to say to people, and they generally get shocked when I say this to them, I say to them, first and foremost, adrenal exhaustion is a personality disorder. And they go, what are you talking about? And I say, <laughs> only certain people get adrenal exhaustion. And they are the kinds of people that are driving, ambitious, focused, proactive people. These are women who aren't sitting and waiting for the world to hand them anything. These are women that are standing up, stepping up, and exhausting themselves in the process because they're trying to do too much at once, and they're not asking for help. So I can recognize this because that was me. I was very, I thought I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof because I've always been very healthy, very capable, fit, you know, didn't need vast quantities of sleep, could get by and guess what? I burnt out. And I get you. I get you. You're my sister. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Isabel. And you know, when women realize that it's actually part of their personality that's driving them to this, they realize why they can get adrenal exhaustion over and over and over again, because they're not addressing the core, the foundation of why they're getting it. So the first thing I do is ask people that question. Can you recognize within yourself the tendency to push yourself when you know that you're exhausted? And every single woman in the room always raises their hand. We know because we say to ourselves, we say, you know what? I am tired and I could do with a little rest or I could do, go and do a little meditation. But guess what? If I just do this one more thing, I'll feel better. And that's the scenario that goes on day after day until eventually we can't get out of bed. So the challenge is really to first look at ourselves from a very personal and very honest perspective. Because unless we solve that problem, all the cortisol tests, all the dietary supplements, all the listening to experts speak is never going to change anything. You have to get to the point where you become proactive in stopping yourself to ha having this natural tendency to overextend yourself and burn, your, burn the candle at all ends, just in its entirety. So I'm wondering how many listeners are going to resonate with this because I find in the work I do many, 
many, if not most women recognize this. And do you mind sharing with, with the audience your story of, of this, of adrenal fatigue well, slash adrenal exhaustion? What happened to you that you were like, holy moly, this is happening? When my, when my children were younger and I was busy writing up my book and I was looking at where to do my PhD, um, I've t- I ticked off the box of my, of my master's and um, I was now accumulating all the evidence related to nutritional neuroscience. And my children were busy at school. My husband was traveling overseas. And I really got to the point where I just kept on feeling exhausted. I just, I just couldn't stop this feeling of exhaustion. And, I, and you know, because of the, the problem is when you, when you're informed to a degree, you kind of like talk yourself out of things. You say to yourself, well, you know what? I'll feel better if I just have a good rest this weekend. But the problem was that the rest on the weekend didn't help me. So I eventually went to a functional practitioner and I said, look, I have a problem. And they did all the bloods. And I also, I just immigrated as well in this whole process. So that was also a challenging time. And um, she looked at me and she said, I've got good news and bad news. And I said, well, give me the good news first. I'm a good news kind of person first. And she said, "Um, you don't have chronic fatigue syndrome. And I said, well, that's great. I never thought I had that. And then she said, but you do have adrenal exhaustion. And I said, oh, that's the good news or the bad news. Where in this is it good? Because I couldn't actually accept the fact that I had burnt myself out. I just thought that it wasn't possible. So then I had to start the process, Isabel, of actually sitting down and being very honest with myself and asking myself some tough questions because I knew that I was a driving person and I knew that I didn't like to say no. I didn't like to put things off. I like to do everything. I like to tick the whole list of everything I needed to accomplish every day. And I had to sit down and ask myself the hard questions. And I now know what I'm heading towards that again. I've never had it again, but when I'm heading towards it again, I know what the danger signs are. So I did what was required. And that actually led to me doing my PhD because I saw all these dietary supplements that women were using and that I myself had used in the pursuit of having a calm brain. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know if they really worked. And this is an interesting thing. By 2025, the stress management dietary supplement industry is going to be worth over $16 billion. So we know we're dealing with a challenge when we look at that kind of number. But there's very little evidence to support all the huge variety of dietary supplements that women and men swallow. There just hasn't been enough research funding to investigate it all. And some of the research, as you well know, is is animal studies. Um, They haven't been done on actual women that are battling. So that's one of the things that led me down that path. So now I only use dietary supplements that are evidence-based to give me the balance that I need. And I look at myself very carefully from the psychological perspective because I understand that underpins everything else. That's basically the foundation. So in short, that's my story. Um, I am really aware of the fact now that during that time when I was so stressed and I didn't stop, I did build up neural pathways that didn't serve me. And now, unfortunately, I've got them to counteract as well as my natural inborn tendency. Because as you well know, neural pathways never disappear. <laughs> they just are You just got to make new ones. You've got to make new ones. New, yeah. so, and yeah. make them nice and deep so you keep going into them <laughs> like a train track. 
Absolutely. So, you know, the more women don't acknowledge the fact that they're pushing themselves, the, the, the more robust those neural pathways become. So any advice is to stop yourself in your tracks right now and address the, the core issue behind that driving. It's actually a senseless driving and it's a, it's a driving that doesn't, isn't self-compassion. No, absolutely. It does not. It's not a self-loving. It's a self-sabotaging. It's you're killing yourself and you don't even know that you're killing yourself, but you are slowly making yourself disintegrate. And then all of a sudden you don't have any more cortisol and you need cortisol to survive, to get out of bed. So it is a good journey. I'm glad you haven't gone back there. That means you've learned your lesson well. And I always say to people, Look, when you fall down and when you get adrenal exhaustion, you have fallen into a deep pit of fatigue. I encourage you to stay there for a little bit and and do the hard work of looking introspectively and say, why have I done this to myself? Absolutely, it is a personality disorder because we bring it upon ourselves and um, and I say, stay there. Don't get back up right away because if you get right back up, you know, and you just start taking care of it, then you haven't learned anything and you'll go back in there. So I, I say, live in there, just stay in the muckiness and, and feel the pain and learn from the pain and then get back out. And I'm just like, you driven. I can tell <laughs> you and I could be besties. <laughs> and um, it's just, uh, it's a good thing, but it's also a way to commit suicide while you're living. Yeah. yeah. And it's really, you don't serve anybody else by doing that because you become a husk of your former self. Yes. And, you know, when you have a child, I have a daughter and I have a son. And so that my daughter saw me push myself and luckily she was young enough not to internalize it to the point where she's now carried it forward which I'm really grateful for but part of the problem as well Isabel and I think we need to acknowledge this is that society has told women that we can have it all and I find that to be a very disturbing message because nobody can have it all depending on what your all is Mm -hmm. and what you know what society has told us our all is is you know we have to be physically perfect. We have to have perfect families, perfect homes, perfect careers, perfect meals. There's no way that anybody can have perfection everywhere. It just isn't possible. And that ideal is also what drives a lot of women who haven't yet realized that it's it's actually a myth that we can have it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent. So back to, let's get back. To, sorry, I took you off the the train off the track but I just we have to we had to talk about that and just before we get off this topic Delia and I want to give everybody hope that you can get back from adrenal exhaustion it it you don't have to be there forever there is repair it takes work I don't know about you but it took me a lot of work to repair it Um, but you can do it and you can come back and you can stay far far away from that pit you don't have to go back in there you don't have to go back. And it, it is a hard hard climb out of that pit when you decide to finally get out of it. As Isabel says, um, rest there for a while and actually feel the horridness of it so that you never, ever get tempted to go back. But the thing is, you also emerge wiser. Mm. And that wisdom is hard earned, but it really does serve you going forwards. Absolutely. Well said. I like that. Oops. So Okay. So let's talk about nutrition and the impact on stress. 
calling all women. Are you feeling depressed, lack of energy, anxious, your thinking is foggy, poor sleep, or maybe even hopeless? You know there is a better you to present to this world. Hey, it's me, Dr. Isabel. And wow, if any of this sounds like you, I get you. I have been in this place and I've overcome those negative feelings. That's why I've created the free and private Facebook group called The Bossy Brain Solution. Yeah! Would you like weekly coaching to help you become your best self? Come and see for yourself and be empowered by the other women who want to shine their best light in this world. The link is in the podcast description, or you could search for the Bossy Brain Solution in Facebook groups. It's private and free, so come and join us today and know that there is hope. And I encourage you to remain unstoppable. And now, back to the podcast. How does the way we eat affect our stress level? Because you and I both know the world is angry. And that's got a lot to do with our nutrition. So could you kind of like expand on that? The two things that I just want to point out, Isabel, because it's a huge conversation. But the first thing is blood glucose. Um, You know, there is nowhere to store energy in the brain. We can see that clearly. So unless the brain has a pretty consistent supply of energy, it runs out of energy. And then it will send adrenaline into your bloodstream to force you to go and find food. It's just the biochemistry of how it works because food means life survival. So when people are emotional and when they're uptight and when they're angry, as you say, um, it changes the way blood glucose operates because all of those emotions drive adrenaline. And when adrenaline goes up, it then goes down and blood glucose follows suit. So you have this feeling, this constant feeling of I need to find food. I'm not satisfied. um, I'm irritable. I don't feel good. And it drives, unfortunately, into my second point, which is processed food eating. Now, why does it do this? There there are a few reasons this happens. We learn that with processed foods, we get a quick energy high and we feel good. But there's something else very much more subtle, which most people don't understand. Processed food also allows the body to synthesize what we call endogenous opioids, which lower the HPA response temporarily. So when people eat highly processed foods, they get a slight dip in that HPA response. They actually get a feeling of stress relief. Their anxiety drops, even just for a a very short period of time. And then, of course, blood glucose dips again, and then we start the vicious cycle. What we do as human beings, we are very good at learning what makes us feel good. And we like to pursue those feelings because many of them are linked to our survival. So when people learn subconsciously that these processed foods are actually helping them feel calmer for a short while afterwards, guess what happens? They then develop a habit to eat those kinds of foods. So it's not just the blood glucose on its own. It's the endogenous opioids as well that are driving this kind of eating. And of course, we know that those kinds of foods contain 
very few, if any, of the nutrients that we need to keep the brain functioning optimally. They're not nutrient dense. So we may get some carbs from them. We may get some damaged fats. We'll get a whole lot of sugar, which are carbs, but they don't contain all the other micronutrients that the brain needs to function optimally. So those are two main issues that people are not aware of in relation to how the brain feels and our emotions and our thinking process. When we address blood glucose and the processed food separately and their interaction, we then find solutions. And poor people, are, their emotions are just going up and down and up and down. And their brains are saying, when, when Delia was talking about the brain, when she said HPA, just replace that with brain juice. Because the HPA system is in your brain, it's your hypothalamus and your pituitary, and those two talk a lot, all the time. <laughs> and so when HPA is mentioned, just think brain juice, they're talking all the time. Um, your brain is constantly saying, I want to balance my blood sugar, so it'll do whatever it's got to do to get your blood sugar up or balanced, you know, and it's got, what is the number? Is it blood sugar five? Is it four or seven? I think it's five and anything below, then your body's like, I'm freaking out. I need to get my blood sugar back up above five. Is it five or seven? I forget. I think it's, I think it's between five and seven. And I think it also depends on the person, Isabel. Um, I think some people tend towards needing a little bit more. Um, mm. And I'm not sure. I think that's to do with athletes, for example. But that's, that's the broad figure. I think I like to ask people, how do you feel? Yes. Because they can't always do a blood glucose test. No. So I say, how do you feel? You know, do you feel calm? Do you feel that you can think clearly? Can you make a creative decision? And I ask that question because if they can make a creative decision and solve a problem, that means their prefrontal cortex is working, which is the executive functioning part of the brain. And explain, and what, executive, the- explain what executive function, give them okay. examples. Yeah, just... Excellent idea. The executive functioning of the brain is is the part of the brain that takes all the information that you've been given about a situation and sums it up and says, okay, I can see we've got X, Y, and Z, and therefore we need to do the next thing. It looks for patterns. It looks for what happens after you do something. So it's involved in consequential thinking. It's the most sophisticated part of the brain that's got to pull together all the skills and knowledge and experience that you have and apply it in a creative way to a new challenge. That's the prefrontal cortex in a nutshell. Well said. When the prefrontal cortex can think clearly and creatively and you are calm, that means your blood glucose is great. If you feel jittery, you can't think clearly, you can't settle down. You don't know if you want to sit down or if you want to walk or if you want to eat or you want to sleep. That's a clear sign that your blood glucose is all over the show. So I ask people just, you know, how do you feel? And when they have that irritable, cranky, don't feel good feeling, it tells me that their brain is battling because that means the prefrontal cortex isn't getting the nutrition it needs to be able to function. Because Isabel, it's interesting. The brain as a whole uses 20% plus of all the carbs we eat. It's the most, it's the greediest organ, which you well know. But what a lot of people don't know is that the prefrontal cortex uses 20% of that energy. Hmm. It's a, it's a small, smaller part of the brain, but because of its sophistication and its sensitivity, it's the greediest part of the brain. It hasn't yet got any automatic workarounds 
like other parts of the brain have evolved to have. So everything it's doing is new. Everything it's doing is calling on a new connection to be made between a whole lot of neurons. And that is why it's so greedy from an energetic perspective. So when people tell me that they're not thinking creatively, they're really battling, (coughs) apologies, (coughs) to think clearly, they're really battling to find patterns. I know then that their brain is actually starving. So that is something to keep in mind, that really, really greedy executive functioning center needs even more nutrients than the rest of the brain. So on that note, because we want to keep our prefrontal cortex ticking away and figuring out the world and how we're going to do our best, let's talk about macronutrients and how they need to be on a plate to keep this part of our body and the rest of our body in tip-top form. What, What do you recommend for eating? Well, the first thing I recommend that people get to understand is the difference between starch and carbohydrates. So starch are kind of like a subcategory of carbs. And when you are very active, very energetic, when you're very young, you can eat more starch than you can when you're older. So I say to people, focus on the green leafy veg, which are carb, versus the starchy carbs, unless you need to put on weight. The minute you aren't focusing on the right kinds of carbs, you will actually end up carrying your energy versus using your energy. So that's the one thing that I suggest. And what kind of starches are you talking about? What kind of starches? Things like grains, things like rice, things like white potatoes, things like sweet potatoes, even things like quinoa and millet. Quinoa isn't actually a grain, but we use it as a grain. Those are the kinds of, of, of carbohydrates that we can eat more of if we're very active and we're not putting on weight. If we are, we need to cut down on those and eat more of the green leafy veg, like broccoli and, and even things like cauliflower, which aren't green. Lots of leaves, things like kale, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, even the lettuces. There are wide varieties of lettuces. And, of course, you've got your um, yellow foods as well, like carrots and um, butternut as well and pumpkin. So those are the focus. And of course, you've got capsicum and tomatoes. I'm thinking more winter foods now because I'm sitting in winter. Yes. But colorful and fresh is the way we should be going as far as carbs go. And then you add the other starchy carbs in if you have the need for them. Um, As far as protein goes, all those foods also contain protein. And I know that there's a tendency now to be following things like paleo and keto, which are very much more animal food focused, but there's no long-term evidence to suggest that those diets are better for the brain. Truly, there is no long-term evidence. I'm busy writing a a blog post at the moment about those different dietary approaches and the evidence to support them. So I think if people are wanting to eat animal products as a form of protein, that's perfectly fine, but they should be organic because pesticides accumulate in fat and that fat goes up the food chain to us. So making sure that it's organic, grass-fed, straight to table is the way to go if you're choosing to eat animal products. And talking about fat, that's the third macronutrient. The fat and oil story is such a complex um, story and I often tell people that when I give a lecture on it, my lecture is three hours long. So it's a very complex topic. And it's the one that I fell into when I first decided that clinical psychology wasn't for me because I'd read that um, 60% of the dry weight of the brain is made up of fat. 
So I thought, oh, well, I'll just investigate fat a little bit and I'll, I'll, I'll have it covered. And Isabel, I can honestly tell you, 20 plus years later, I am still learning about fats and oils because it is the most complex discussion in nutrition. And that is why there are so many myths and misconceptions about the fat and oil story, because it's very easy to confuse people when a subject is complex. So as far as fats and oils go, third macronutrient, we need to be consuming many more of the fats that our body cannot make, which are called essential fats. That's omega-3 and omega-6. Our bodies can make saturated fats. Our bodies can make monounsaturated fats, but they cannot make polyunsaturated fats, essential fatty acids, omega-3 and omega-6. If you want to eat more saturated fats, then you need to eat more essential fats because the ratio in the cell membrane needs to be the right ratio to keep that cell membrane, specifically neurons now, flexible and malleable. If you eat more saturated fats than you do essential fats, what happens is that cell membrane becomes inflexible. It becomes harder. And then you also need to make more cholesterol to keep that cell membrane flexible. So the way to solve the problem is to just eat more essential fats so that you can eat more saturated fats. So, so I guess like the bottom line for the listeners is each plate of food needs to have your good carbohydrates, your good fats, and your good proteins to keep your blood sugar nice and stable so your prefrontal cortex doesn't go down the tube. Is that safe to say? Absolutely, Isabel. And if people are getting hungry between meals, yes. I suggest they maybe just increase their meal size a little bit or choose a very nutrient-dense Good protein, carb, and fat snack. Absolutely. A good, did everybody hear that? Listen to what Delia just said. Whenever you eat something, make sure it's a carbohydrate, protein, and a fat. All three together. Do you know why? Because that keeps your blood sugar nice and stable. If you just eat a carbohydrate, guess what? You'll go up and you'll crash down. Okay, so that's like the big Num tip number two. Tip number one was tell say your name when you're in the middle of your sleep and you're still wide awake. Talk to yourself and mention your first name. And tip number two is make sure you're eating every time you eat. It's a carbohydrate, a good carb, protein, and fat together to stabilize your blood sugar. Yes or no? I think that's fabulous. You summarized it beautifully. And I love giving snackable bits of information. <laughs> People understand it faster. You know, they need something to take away. Absolutely, Isabel. And I think one of the secrets about the fat, it does keep our blood glucose stable. But the other thing which very few people realize is that flavor molecules disperse optimally in fat versus mm. water. So that's one of the reasons the low-fat diet was so unpleasantly unpalatable because there was no fat in any of the food. So they had to add extra, you know, fillers and additives like MSG to the food to make it tasty. Whereas it needed to be tasty to have the fat in it because that's how flavor molecules disperse. So whenever people try and cut out fat, they always end up putting on weight because they never get that satiated feeling because the flavor molecules don't disperse. Right. Because fat fills you up. Fat tells your brain, oh, okay, I got it. I'm full. I'm okay. 
Absolutely. And the food tastes better when you've got fat in your mouth with the other flavor molecules. So do you have any, do you have a third tip before we land this plane? Do you have a third tip you want to give our listeners? You've got a tip for sleeping, a tip for eating correctly every meal, another tip to help them with their brain and their nutrition. It's a good one. I've been working on a list of tips and um, there's so many, Isabel. I think I'd, I'd really like people just to, to take a moment and think about how precious and sophisticated and sensitive their brain is because everything that we do every day, our brain is changing shape. You know, from what's happening internally, it's changing shape and from what we're providing from the environment. So I think the third tip would be that we need to take care of what we're exposing our brain to. And that means that, you know, you want to have communication and conversations with people in real life that support you and are positive. You want to read the kind of books that do the same thing. You want to listen to people on podcasts, you know, with this, for example, people that have got helpful ways to live a better life. When you spend yourself surrounded by positivity and by ways of improving your life, your brain changes shape in a positive direction. That's the plus side of neuroplasticity. The dark side is if you do the opposite of those things, you actually end up building neural pathways that make you more negative, where you don't feel like you can actually do much with your life. So I think the third tip is to surround yourself with positivity and the things that you can do, because life is tough. And we do live in a complex, complicated world today. And yes. surrounding ourselves with negative news and negative feedback and, you know, those echo chambers that just speak about doom and gloom don't serve us. And our brain is picking up every single one of those little nuances. So protect your brain. Look after it, not just in terms of your sleep and your food and your exercise. Look after it in terms of what you're exposing it to. Exactly, because everything you listen to infects your brain. So like Delia said, do you want to infect it positively or infect it negatively? It's up to us. Do you watch the news? I mean, are you, do you ever watch the news or do you watch it? Occasionally, for I'll pick up something that I wanted to watch. For example, you know, with Melbourne, how many COVID cases they had. But I find that I, I try and focus, and I've been doing this for many years, mm -hmm. is to focus on the things that I have control over. Mm -hmm. Because the minute the brain is faced with something it doesn't have control over, our cortisol spikes. That's just unfortunately a natural repercussion. So watching the news leaves you feeling I have no control. And that's a bad feeling. And I don't like to cultivate that. So I really like watching TED Talks. There's some Netflix shows that are fantastically positive and uplifting. So I'll watch those. And I read a lot. So I really try and avoid the news. And I have friends that send me snippets, you know, about the news. And I go, thanks. <laughs> another day <laughs> my mom lives in my mom is 96 years young living independently and just as like the beacon for our doctor on a mission here and and she lives at you know she's got her finger on the pulse so she watches I've helped her she used to watch the news like three or four hours a day and she's like a, a worry a worry person and I've got her down to just we're watching it for a half an hour so she keeps me abreast of anything I need to know about like I when I talked to her I called her the uh, yesterday and I go mom what do you need to let me know about the world and the biggest thing was that the queen mother cut her birthday cake with a sword so that's the way <laughs> 
that's the kind of news my mom gives me now because she knows it's just not good for us. So absolutely. And I'm glad that you trained her down to half an hour. I'm sure you're going to train her down to even less than that. <laughs> uh, at, uh, well, 96, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> fabulous. Now, I wanted to ask, could you please let the, our listeners know about what you've got to offer and how they can reach you and stuff? And, and just so everybody knows, all of this will be in the show notes. Isabel, thank you for asking. Because you are in New Zealand, any of your listeners that are in New Zealand in New Zealand will be able to access a special link that my publisher gave me for my books. So if they buy the first one, which is the sciencey one, they'll get the second one, which is the recipe one, for free. So I will send you that link so you'll be able to use that in the show notes. Um, if people want to follow me and what I do, they can find me on Instagram, they can find me on Facebook, they can find me at my website as well, and they can download a three-day brain food menu and recipes to go with that. Um, they'll then get onto my email list and I send all sorts of interesting things to people about brain set and stress and food and so on, so they can do that as well. And um, I look forward to answering questions and engaging with people on social media, so thank you. Thank you. And thank you for all the research and the hard work you're doing. I can tell by your passion and your wisdom that you're going to help a lot of us make it over the hundred years. Mark, healthy and happy and joyful and peaceful and making love. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's important for our brain. My Absolutely. kids are like, oh, mom, please, I don't want to talk about it. And I go, your father and I will be making love even when we're 100 because I married my best friend. And they're like, ah! <laughs> so if they're listening, oh, well. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Delia. You've been a blessing. And I encourage you to remain unstoppable. Thank you. I, I, I look forward to that. I look forward to walking over that hundred, running over that hundred, hundred year line with you, Isabel. Thank you. Yes, let's do that together. Excellent. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Hello, Chef Michael here. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review.